from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Hello, it is great to have you here. Whether you are checking in from Waxahachie, Texas, or Winnipeg, Canada, Throgs Neck, New York, Thief River Falls, Minnesota, from Positano to Pittsburgh, Perth to Palo Alto, or Smoland to New Smyrna Beach, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show. I am your host, Sven Erlinson, joined in studio today by KC over there in the booth, and Rob the Rocket next to me. Rob, hello. Always ready for liftoff, Sven. I'm feeling good today. I'm ready to rock. Are you now? Yes. How has the weather been where you are? Lovely. Uh, it's uh, where We're recording this in uh, the late spring. I've been working the garden, and as uh, Don Henley says, if dirt were dollars, we'd all be in the black. Wow. God bless you. Mm-hmm. I lost that Don Henley reference. What's the song? Do you know? Yeah. Uh, if dirt were dollars. I didn't know that was a song. Yeah. Now I know. Yeah. There we go. Dirt's good. I like dirt. Good yeah. for the flowers. Right. Well, my man, we have got an interesting guest today. We're dealing with love. We're dealing with heartbreak. We're dealing with family, kids, the whole schmear. Rob, will you tell us about William? I'd be happy to, Sven. Here's what William wrote to us. Back over Christmas, I got the I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore from my wife. We've been married for 10 years, three kids, nine, seven, and four, and it's been a hard marriage. My anger has been my biggest issue, and I've driven it down to a generational curse. My dad's grandpa was a mean SOB. He was dogmatic. Dad was told it was his fault. Three of his siblings died on his birthday in a fire. And me, trying not to be my drug-addicted father and my mom's emotional surrogate during their marriage, has predisposed me to a life of depression, angst, and anxiety, and it's taken a toll on our marriage. In the months since our talk, things have been better. I've worked on myself physically, emotionally. I see that I covered up my own faults to keep safe. I've sought validation from my wife and made her my emotional center. I have attachment issues, and she's been battling depression, particularly PPD, most of our marriage, and I've been supportive and tried to get her help, but I can see that I was much of the problem. I'm making huge strides. We've been sleeping separate, no intimacy, no touch, but on the daily basis, staying in the same home, we get along really well. But she doesn't trust me, and I don't blame her. I'm taking ownership, making changes, but I'm also crazy afraid of failing our kids, and she doesn't seem to have the energy to keep going. Our priest therapist says there are a lot of good signs and is encouraged by us, but afterwards, she says if I had papers drawn up for divorce, then she would sign them. At the same time, she's had all the opportunity to do so herself and hasn't, so maybe there's hope. Is there any coming back from this? William, good to have you on the show. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. How does it feel uh, to hear those words that you wrote read back by Rob? What does it feel like as you listen to that? It hurts. What hurts the most, William? Just kind of looking at things from a 10,000-foot view. And um, never thought I'd be in this position. And dealing with it for the last five months has been particularly difficult. What's the hardest part? The unknowing. When I sit there and think about it, it, it just kind of feels like I've got a gun to my head every day. You know, we just don't know what the future holds. I mean, nobody does, right? But it just feels like everything could be taken away in an instant. And when you say everything, what do you mean by everything? Because, I mean, I know you live in the United States, and uh, unless you're beating your kids or doing drugs in front of your kids, you're not going to get your kids in all likelihood taken away from you. So what do you mean when you say lose everything? What does that mean to you? We live in Washington State. Her family lives in Idaho, Wyoming, and mine's in Ohio. So the reason we're out here in Washington State is for the economy and jobs. And if she decided to split, I don't know the legalese behind it, but I'm afraid she would take the kids, and that's about 650 miles away. And uh, at one point she told me that taking them wouldn't be me, wouldn't be her taking them away from me. I could see them whenever I wanted. But I mean, 650 miles is an awful large bridge to gap. I'm afraid of what would happen to them without having both a mom and a dad in the picture. I could not agree with you more. And you will definitely 
need to talk to a lawyer about that because the notion that she can just up and go with the kids, uh, I'm not very convinced of that. In Washington uh, State, I know nothing about the law. I know nothing about the law in Washington State, but you can't just take off with the kids just because you want to. And her saying, oh, you can see them whenever you want is bullshit because that's her basically saying, I have all the power and I will deign, I will condescend to give some to you to let you see your kids as bullshit. You, uh, and I have a feeling that if you talk to a lawyer, a lawyer will, uh, a lawyer or two will be quick to tell you that it's not as simple as, simple as she can just take them and go. So I understand the fear, I get it. And I'm not trying to minimize your fear, but there may not be a lot of legal standing behind that. You, you're definitely gonna wanna look into that. What would be the hardest part about all of it? Is the idea, is the hardest part for you not being with your kids, is the hardest part for you the idea of all of you not together under the same roof? Or is the hardest part for you uh, the idea of uh, losing the woman who was uh, who you sought validation from and you made her your emotional center. If you were to be totally honest, William, what's the hardest part for you? Not having us all under one roof. Losing the kids would be catastrophic for me. Losing her would be huge, no doubt, but losing them would be just catastrophic. Okay, so there's losing them. There's you guys not being under the same roof. And then there's you losing her. And break that down into percentages for me. If you got three things there and you they have to add up to 100%, what percent does each one occupy? Losing them, the three, the five of you not under the same roof and then losing her. Is it, you know, 20, 40, 40? Is it 33, 33, 33? What percent, if you were to sort of just spitball, you could change your mind tomorrow though. I would think it probably all all of us being under the same roof would be like a 50 and then the other two would be a 25. Fair enough. That's fair. And the truth is, that's a big one. When uh, my first wife and I divorced, that was, she divorced me and that was a huge one for me. So I totally feel you on that. And uh, And it would be hard and you would grieve and the children would grieve. And parts of her would grieve, even if she did it, parts of her would grieve because I have no doubt, well, as she said, she loves you. And it's hard, and she knows that uh, you know it'd be hard on the kids. But the other fact of the matter is this, William, and that is children recover, adults recover. Would it suck in the short term? Yes, indisputable. Would you grieve? Yes. Would there be a lot of tears shed by your children and by you? Yes, absolutely, and by her, no doubt. And the transitions of getting used to this new life for your kids and for you, of going back and forth, if it came to this, and I'm not saying it's gonna come to this, I don't know, but I'm just saying, yes, in the short term, in the grieving, in the transitions, yes, it's hard, absolutely. But people recover, children recover, and there becomes a new normal. And the, the task in that, should it come to that, the task in that, William, is for you to heal you. Because the goal is to provide them with a father who is alive, who is functioning, who is even happy, and who can pour love into their love cup so let me ask you, you, you had said that, um, that you were the problem or a big part of the problem. What percentage do you think you were the problem in the relationship? And what percentage do you think she was the problem in the relationship? I think it's probably 70, 30. You, 70? Yeah. And what would you say is this, in one sentence or less, is the single biggest problem that you brought to the relationship? Um, I think I was trying to be a nice guy and that didn't help me at all. What do you mean? I was reading a lot of Robert Glover and what he lays out in the Mr. Nice Guy stuff is essentially I became, I used her as my emotional center. I tried to seek validation through her. I tried to not be my dad because I was my mom's emotional surrogate. She told me everything when I was way too young to deal with that stuff. I internalized that was just trying not to be my dad. I was trying not to be the angry guy. I was trying to be different than other guys thinking that that would make me different. And instead it just made me cover up all of my shortcomings. One big example would be we had a pretty good sex life. You know, we were usually, you know, once, twice, three times a week. Um, and then she took issue with me not responding to her initiating in the way that she thought. And I didn't want to treat her like a piece of meat. 
I thought that that was the wrong way to do it when she needed that affirmation, that validation. Her love language is words of affirmation and quality time minus physical touch and quality time. And me not responding to her in the way that she needed, I can see just hurt her and shut her down. That makes sense. That wasn't what I was intending to do. I was trying to be nice, not treat her like she was a piece of meat. But instead, I just didn't treat her the way that she wanted to be seen. She wanted to be, you know, sexy and everything else. And I'm just trying to not treat her like she's an object. Well, wouldn't that be a good thing? Help me understand. So she's wanting to be treated, you know, she's wanting her love language sort of spoken. She's wanting the conversation. She's wanting the words of affirmation. And instead Mm -hmm. of doing that, what are you doing specifically? What are the actions that if you're not doing that, if you're not giving her the words of affirmation, what were you doing? So like if she would come out in lingerie or something like that, I wouldn't jump up. I would, you know, smile and put stuff away. I wasn't aggressive. I wasn't responding. And I thought that I was just being nice, I guess. When, okay, I, so just so I'm clear, she would come out in the lingerie, she'd be looking good, and you'd want to jump her bones because your physical or your love language is affection and you know and sex and so forth. So you'd want to make out with her and, and have make love or just fuck sometimes, right? Okay, but you didn't. You didn't jump right to that because you thought that would be disrespectful to her. And so you sort of slow walk the thing. And whereas what, so you were wanting to jump her bones. She was wanting you to say something like, wow, honey, holy shit, you look amazing. Come here, you sexy kitten or whatever. So you weren't doing what you wanted, which was to sort of jump her bones. And she wasn't, you weren't doing what she wanted, which was to compliment her and say how beautiful she looked. Um, is that accurate or is that inaccurate? That's accurate. And a lot of that comes from my dad demanded sex from my mom. My mom told me about it. So my thought was, don't be like that. Ah, I get it. So in the, the first filter, uh, or one of the first filters in your life, in particular in your marriage is what would dad do? Do the opposite. I didn't realize that was a thing until it was pointed out. And then it's like, yeah, all this stuff, the the way that I act comes down to those two things, being an emotional surrogate for my mom and all the conversations we had that were, I was not mature enough to deal with and not wanting to be my dad. Wow. Isn't it, so you got a real life lesson then on, uh, you know, on the power of parental imprinting and the power of the messages and shit we get from parents. How old are you, William? Uh, 35. You're 35. Hell of a lesson to get on that stuff, right? Yeah. Wow. So you told me that 70% of her, of the problem in the marriage was you and you trying to be a nice guy, not, and you know, not be your dad rather than just you being you, right? You were sort of being something other than just authentic you. And then 30% was her. Well, what, what was the problem that she brought to the relationship? She struggled with depression a lot. Postpartum was definitely bad with, I think, probably worst with our second child. I think she's lost herself in the life of mom, and she's lost a lot of her identity. Mm. And that happens. And that's, that's one of those that just can take over uh, a, a woman, and uh, that's a powerful thing. Let me ask you, going back to you, though, you said you're trying to be Mr. Nice Guy, yet in your paragraph you sent to us, you said, my anger has been my biggest issue, and I've driven it down to a generational curse. So you say, I'm trying to be Mr. Nice Guy, yet anger is your biggest issue. Help me understand those two. So I try to be the nice guy. I try to do the things that will get me what I want, and it winds up, I think I'm trying to be honest, but I'm not. I wind up being manipulative. I wind up not saying what I want directly. What I wind up doing is in trying to be different and not be like my dad, I wind up trying to manipulate a situation to where I get what I want because I don't want to ask for what I want directly. And being direct is bad. Having wants and desires is bad. And that's what I'm learning is that I'm trying to get over is be okay with having wants and desires and be direct about it. Yeah. And then when I don't get them, I get resentful and then I blow up. Right. Right. And, and it's fearful to put our own needs and wants out there. 
it, first of all, it requires believing that I'm worthy of that, believing that I fucking matter enough to have wants because so much you are conditioned to believe that you're not allowed to have wants and you're bad and your wants don't matter and you don't matter, right? And so there's that deep, deep pain in there and that deep belief bullshit that you are taught. So the notion of even speaking your wants, it takes courage for you. And where there's courage, there's also then the, the chance of pain. You're vulnerable because if somebody says no, it's like what they're really saying is no, you don't matter, which is the message you got originally. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. really scary ground. And of course it's gonna make you angry because you know, A, it all starts with the wounds. It all starts with the pain from your childhood. And this is your response, you know, if you're not getting what you want, or if you have to be someone other than you really are, or if you believe you're not good enough or entitled to have what you need or speak your feelings, of course, you're going to be angry and bitter. What do you believe is the fundamental message that you got about yourself from your mother? In one sentence or less, what was the fundamental underlying belief that she was conveying to you about you? I'm not really sure. I want to say it's that I was a burden. Mm. I've had abandonment issues. The, the one thing I remember clearest from whenever I was young, like really young, was her coming into the room, bedroom, that's not clean. We get into an argument, and then we had a half-mile-long driveway. We lived out in a rural area, and um, I would watch her stomp outside, get in the truck and drive away. And it's a long half mile driveway. I remember seeing the headlights go down, make a left and they would just be gone. And I remember freaking out and I know she was dealing with whatever she was dealing with and she had the tools that she had and the resources and the understanding that she had, but that just kind of killed me. And since then, I mean, we've patched out our relationship and she's apologized and acknowledged her shortcomings, but that was pretty killer that and you know she stayed with dad through all his drugs and the police raids and all this other stuff and that just yeah that what how did that feel and how does it feel to think that she stayed with dad through the drugs and all the police raids i've come to terms with she did the best that she understood that she had at the time why do you say that how do you know that how do you know that she did her best See, if you're 35, your mom is approximately how old? 61. 61. All right. I'm 55. If you were, if you are 35 years old, that means you are about three years older than my son. So you were born in the late 80s. In the late 80s, there were plenty of parenting books. There were plenty of parenting classes. You started in your paragraph, you said you're a church person, which says there's a likelihood that your parents or your mom was a church person as well. Um, you mentioned the word priest, so that indicates you're either Catholic or uh, Orthodox, Christian Orthodox, which, um, and I can tell you for a fact that there were classes in churches in the 80s and 90s, and I know that because I used to teach some. My mother used to teach parenting classes, so the notion that she did the best she could, I'm not convinced of that, and I'm just curious how you know that she did the best she could. She did try over time to get him into counseling. We were, I was raised Roman Catholic. We are currently Orthodox mm -hmm. and he would not stay clean enough. Why did she stay? You yourself even said she stayed through dad. You said basically you had bitterness over two things previously, because supposedly you've let her off the hook. Mom would stomp out and drive away. It's like, you fucking bitch. You make a fucking child feel like because his room isn't clean enough, I'm leaving you. Her, she had what? She had so much shit inside of her that a child's messy room, oh, I just have to get out of here. This is just too much. It's like, you fucking infant. Now, I, I realize I'm talking about your mother here, but I'm talking about a child. And she stormed out and she left a child believing that mom is potentially leaving me for good. And what's the child thinking? Because I did something bad. I didn't clean my room well enough. I'm bad and mommy left me. You want to strike terror, terror into a child? Do that to your kid. Let, let's just, let me just ask you. Let me just ask you. You have three kids, nine, seven, and four. Let's just pick the middle one. You're seven-year-old, all right? And you're a seven-year-old, you know, is this seven-year-old a boy or a girl? Boy. 
boy. Seven-year-old's a boy. And your son, your, your son, you know, he leaves his baseball bat and his glove out in the yard, and you're so pissed that you yell at him, and you get in your truck, and you slam the door, and you growl at him, and you drive away. Well, down the street, and he sees you driving away. He sees your taillights. Would you ever in a thousand years do that to your seven-year-old son? No. Why is that? No. Why? It's wrong. What's wrong about it? What's the effect? It's going to destroy him. And why would it destroy your seven-year-old son if you growled at him because he left his ball and his bat and his glove out in the yard? Why would it destroy him if you growled at him, slammed the door in your truck and drove away? Why would that destroy him? He knows that the, well, at that point, he'd figure out that the love is one conditional and two, the bar is really low to be abandoned. That's right. And so he's going to spend his life being as good a boy as he can. He's going to spend his life, to use your words, not being your dad, trying to be a nice guy, trying to do everything right so you won't drive away and leave me, right? And right now, since Christmas, you've been eating as much shit as you possibly can. You've been owning everything wrong in that fucking marriage, or 70% of it at least. Just please don't leave me. Don't drive down the long driveway. Don't leave me. Please don't leave me. That's what's going on inside of you. What's going on inside of you, since she gave you the I love you, but I'm not in love with you speech, what's going on inside of you is every fucking switch is flipped. Every piston is firing inside of you. That little boy, all of those pistons are firing that you are at maximum high alert and you are willing to do anything. Just please don't leave. We're going to be right back with William. Let's take a quick break. Okay. Well, you've, you've heard the podcast, you've listened to other people's issues, maybe you've studied hundreds of Sven's TikTok videos. Time to stop lurking, face your fears, and focus directly on the one person in your life who can benefit the most from Sven's experience and insight. Now, that would be you. Just go to badasscounseling.com and order Sven's book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. Or check out his many video courses. Sven found a way to help himself out of a 12 years depression. It worked for him, and it can work for you too. Check out badasscounseling.com today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with Badass Counseling. We are talking to William, talking about his mother, and storming out when he didn't clean his room just right and driving away and him feeling all alone and his mom really leaving this time. And now he's in the throes with his wife of, you know, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. And we're looking at the messages that William got as a child. So William, you said she would do this, she would leave you, but you also said, so that was one of your big beefs, one of the clear, vivid memories that you have of childhood, her stomping out and driving away down that long driveway. But then you said she stayed with dad through the drugs and the police raids. And you said, also, you said to me, you know, I, the, I, we've sort of reconciled and I know she did her best. So what you're saying then is that if, let's just say you were six years old, you're 35 years old, that means you're born in 88. If you were six years old, I'm randomly choosing age. In 1993, she didn't know that it would be better to get her child out of a drug-infested environment where there are police raids and so forth. She just didn't know or she couldn't figure out a way. Now, you said you're originally from Ohio. I lived in Ohio. I know there are good police folk in Ohio. I know that there are safe shelters in Ohio, and there have been for decades. I know this. And so I guess what I'm wondering is, how was her staying in that environment in 1993? Hell, in 1993, I was uh, 26 I knew that it would be bad for a kid. Your mom was older than me. I knew that it would be bad for a kid to stay in a drug-riddled uh, environment where there are police raids and so forth. I knew that a kid would be scared as fuck. How the fuck was she doing her best by keeping you in that environment? I'm just curious. Help me understand, William. She told me it was essentially things just got worse over time. Dad was a long-haul truck driver, and for years and years, we essentially lived in the truck for the most part. 
and it didn't really get bad until probably the mid late nineties. By 2000, we were in a battered women's shelter and he made some changes for a while. I remember he was clean for about a month and I remember looking at his eyes and I didn't recognize him. And I realized it was the first time I had ever seen him sober. And, um, after that, there was the police raid. And at that point, I think because the way the, we lived in a small community, 1400 people, um, the way that the community and the schools and the police responded to her, it pushed them back closer together for a while until she finally just fed up with it and left well kicked him out oh and how old were you when she kicked him out uh that would have been 2010 so 13 years ago i was in the military you by that point 22 oh so she then she kicks him out after you're fucking gone then she kicks him out then she wised up then she found her strength you know, I, I got to be honest with you, William, and I know I'm talking about your mother here and, you know, that can get a guy punched in the face, but uh, I'm not impressed. She had more power than you. She was a woman in her 30s when you were born. By the time you're 10, she's in her 40s. She had infinitely more power than that 10-year-old. And also, not only did she not get you out of there, you know, she made you fearful of abandonment. She would storm out when your room wasn't clean or whatever it might be. And on top of that, what you said at the beginning, the main message you got from your mom was that you were a burden. I'm just curious, how was that message conveyed? What is it that makes you today feel like you got that message back then that you were a burden? How would that have been conveyed by her? Would she explicitly say it or implicitly or would it be in a look or what? How would you get that message? And if it was just a sense or a feeling, that's fine. Say that. But what was it that gave you that sense or what words did you hear? I remember just feeling like it would be easier if I wasn't here. So you got the feeling then that mom felt like she had a hard life. Yeah because it would be easier for her, I assume you're saying, if you weren't there. Yeah. Mm. And uh, is it safe to say then with your nine-year-old that you regularly convey to your nine-year-old that uh, he or she um, it would be easier if they weren't there? Do you do that with your kids? No, I hug them and I ask them how their day is going and tell them I love them all the time. Sounds like your voice is shaking a little bit there. Is that right? Yeah. Why is your voice shaking there? Nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's good. Why is your voice shaking as you say that? I hug them and I tell them I love them and, you know, do that all the time. Why does your voice shake when you say that? I don't want them to turn into me. You hate yourself that much, huh? I hate who I have been. Yeah? Did you hate yourself back then or is it only now looking back? Always. You've always hated yourself? Yeah. What's the, what's the earliest you remember hating yourself? Early grade school. Early grade school, like second grade, or what are we talking about? Probably second, third, yeah. Wow. And what do you think the reason is that you hated yourself, even since second or third grade, William? I'm sure. Take a, take, just take a shot at it. You can change your mind tomorrow or next week. What do you think the reason might be that you've hated yourself since you were an eight or nine-year-old? Never good enough. For who? I was just never good enough. For who? For anybody. But I mean, sure, anybody, but there's always like, if I say, gosh, all my friends hate me, there's always going to be one that I think hates me the most or man, everybody was looking at me funny. Well, who did it bother you most, Sven, that was looking at you funny at the other party? There's always one that bothers us the most. Who are you? Who is the main person that you were never good enough for? Probably my dad. For your dad. Okay. And how would dad convey it that you weren't good enough? What would he say or do? Nothing. He never did anything. I mean, I remember playing catch with him a couple of times, but we never talked. We would, he was a long haul truck driver and I would go on trips with him and we would just spend hours and hours and hours sitting there. And I was afraid to say anything. Because what were you afraid of if you said something? I don't know, just that it would be the wrong thing. And that what would happen if it were the wrong thing? What did you fear him doing? Or what did he do if you said the wrong thing? He never touched me. It was just just the sense of being around him was bad. 
it felt bad and you felt like what what did you feel like what do you think to yourself when you were around your dad just that i wasn't good enough that i couldn't be who i thought i was supposed to be and then by the time i figured out who he was i was dead set not going to be that and that he would never be proud of me he would never love me so your whole life it's like um dad doesn't love me or pretty sure he doesn't love me mom treats you like you're a burden so is it any wonder then that you know you were hating on yourself by the time you're seven eight nine years old i mean it kind of makes sense doesn't it yeah so let me ask you this william just out of curiosity do you hate your mother no i don't hate either of my parents have you ever hated have you ever hated your mother yeah really what percent 20 percent 89 percent 43 percent what percent Probably 20. 20%. Not and a lot. When would that have been at its peak? How old would you have been when it was at its peak? 16, 17. 16 or 17. And the reason it would have been then would have been what? Because I, at that point, I was defending my dad against all the, the law enforcement, everything else, saying that they were the bad guy because the way we were treated after the raids. Okay. And mom yeah. was not defending. She did not approve of you defending dad. Is that what I'm guessing then yeah okay and what is uh how much do you hate your dad presently is it zero like mom i don't i don't hate him at all anymore have you i just feel bad for him feel bad for him what was the most you ever hated your dad what percent for mom it was 20 percent. for dad it's what 90 90 how old you were you when you hated your dad 2021 about 2021 so you're in the military by that point um what branch were you just out of curiosity Maybe. Oh, all right. All right. Um, And uh, just out of curiosity, uh, you'd said you do hate yourself. What percent do you hate yourself uh, today, presently? 20 or 30. 20 or 30. And what do you think the max was that you hated yourself? What percent? Probably 90. Okay. And was that for a good long time? Yeah. From like, what ages to what ages, roughly? Probably the last 10 years. Last 10 years. What? Okay, that would have been since you were 25. What was it before that? Up there, probably 70, 80. And was for that for most of your life or the teens and 20s or what? No, after I got out of the military, I felt like I was just failing left and right. And um, it just peaked and peaked. Okay. And just out of curiosity, when you were, you talked about elementary school. And so in elementary school and junior high or middle school, what percent do you think you hated yourself? 30, 40. Okay. What, if you were to sum it all up, what really was the crime that your father committed against you? If you were to sort of sum it all up, what really, in one sentence or less, what was dad's crime against you? Just neglect, neglect. And what's the effect on a child? If you were to to neglect your four-year-old, what's the effect on a child of neglect? Just constant angst. Because why? Why do you have constant angst if you're neglected? What's going on in the mind of the child and the heart of the child that's causing the angst? I feel like they're never good enough. Never good enough, okay. We weren't good enough to have a relationship with. That you weren't good enough. Because if I had been better, dad would have wanted me, right? Yeah. He says now that, well, the last we talked to him, that he screwed us up enough and he doesn't want to do more harm. So it sounds like dad hates himself pretty well too. Um, but that's not helping you at all, is it? Okay, so then what's mom's crime? If dad's crime is neglect, causing constant angst and you feeling like you're never good enough, what really, if you were to boil it all down or sum it all up, what was mom's crime? She didn't do what she probably knew was better because she was holding out hoping that he would change so her crime to the child then is what i guess it's just a different form of neglect what should she have done you said she didn't do what she should have known was better what what should she have done she probably should have gotten out out of the relationship with dad and the and so her staying in the relationship with dad had what effect on you what did it make you feel that you were stuck in that environment you said she should have gotten out well, she didn't. And so the effect on you, we know dad's neglect caused angst and caused you to believe you're never good enough. What was the effect of mom not getting out and leaving you in that situation? 
and also making you feel like you were a burden. We never had a good male role model. And so the result of not having a good male role model is you felt what about yourself or believed what about yourself? I was just bad. I was bad. So because of mom's inaction, you were basically led to believe that you're bad on top of the fact that you believed that you were a burden and you were fearful of mom leaving because she could be so erratic that she would drive away from you, her child, if you didn't clean your room. Okay, so the thing in all of this, the thing in all of this that I don't buy is that you don't hate your parents. I don't buy it for a fucking second. I think all the fucking rage inside of you your, your entire life has been packed down and packed down and stuffed into a fucking vault because you so just want their approval, which is normal. Kids should get their parents' approval and the acceptance, and you never got it. And that just the fucking love, the kindness, that beautiful, beautiful stuff that you give to your kids. That's beautiful, man. Dude, for a dude who's 35 years old, former military, fucking hugs and kisses his kids, can talk. You're very emotionally intelligent. You can talk about feelings. And shit, and you're giving that love to your kids, man. You know, you're, you're, I respect you, and I mean that 100%. 100%. But here's the deal you told me that you have hated yourself since second or third grade, potentially a little later, potentially a little earlier, maybe first or second grade. You've hated yourself your entire life, but hey, 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 the most I've ever hated mom was 20%. You were a fucking kid. You were a kid. And she makes it so that you're hating on yourself since you were seven, eight years old. He makes it so that you're hating on yourself since you were seven or eight years old. But you only had, you know, at its peak when you were 20, 21, 90% hatred for dad. But hey, you know, we're all good now. Yet you're still hating on yourself. You still believe that you're the problem. I got news for you, William. You were never the problem. You were a child. I want you to imagine, just imagine, um, which one, which of your three kids, you don't have to give me their name, but the age of the one, are you this week feeling sort of a sweet spot for? Just My oldest. Your oldest. All right, so you're nine-year-old. So I want you to imagine that I gave all your notes and your whole story to, to Steven Spielberg, and he made a movie of your life. And we're sitting in a theater, and I got 100 people. I just pulled off the street, promised some free popcorn, junior mints, and cotton candy, and sodas. Then I brought my girlfriend in, and the projections and up projectionist is up there. So there's 103 of us and there's you and you're sitting in the middle of that crowd and you're watching the movie of your fucking life and all the shit and the lights going down the driveway and those long rides with dad being silent, except Steven Spielberg decided to fuck you up. He decided to fuck you up. He knew you were going to be in this screening of the movie and he cast to play the role of you, your nine-year-old. So you have to sit through a three-hour Steven Spielberg movie of your life watching your son be treated the way you were fucking treated. How are you feeling now, William? That's pretty awful. It's pretty awful. Shit you would never do to your kid. You would never do that shit to your son. Never. And you probably think yourself as a, you know, big old uh, knucklehead dude, you know, 35 years old, former military, works hard. But, you know, as a sort of a regular guy, you know, I'm just a just a regular guy. I'm not real. But even you know better than what your parents did. You would never do that to your kid. And they did this. No, William, I think what's at the root of your anger and I think what's at the root of your pain is you've got so much feeling down there for mom and dad. This has nothing to do with your wife. This has nothing to do with your marriage. It's just manifesting there. That And you even said it yourself, shit. My abandonment issues and all my stuff going on in my marriage, it goes back. We talked about parental imprinting at the very beginning. That fear of being left. And you're doing everything you can now and so forth. So I want to ask you, what are you feeling right now? I, I think I hear some tears in your voice. What are you feeling right now? Be straight up with me. You've been so honest, so forthright and open with me. What are you feeling right now, man? Feels clear. I mean... What you're saying makes sense. What? Give me, give me another feeling word. You're doing great. Give me another feeling word. What are you feeling? Because I hear the tears. So what are the tears and what else is going with them? How are you feeling? You're doing great, William. Talk, talk me through it here, buddy. I just want to make sure that my kids don't wind up like I did. And that feels like it gives me some direction. Yeah. At least in how I don't want them to be. Right. <laughs> Right, but see, even that, 
how I don't want them to, to be is based on the belief. It's based on your still belief that you suck. You don't suck, William. You've made some mistakes, sure. And I got news for you. Your wife has made mistakes too. One of the chapters in my books is that unhealthy people come in twos. And right now you're willing to own all the blame because you can't bear the thought of being left. But that doesn't mean that the way you have the blame sliced up at 70%, 30% is necessarily accurate. All right? She's probably happy to let you own it. And yeah, I'm not doubting that you cause your share of pain, buddy. But if your real goal is to help your children, all right, as you said, you know, it's 50%. You know, the pain of all of us not being on the same roof, and that may happen. But then, even if you guys aren't on the same roof, you still have a responsibility to pour love into your kid's love cup and be a source of love. And let, I got news for you. There are a whole lot of dads in this world that are divorced that are wonderful fathers. Moms too. But there are a whole lot of dads out there doing wonderful things with their kids. So a divorce is not the end of the world. If it comes to that, it's going to feel like it at times. I'm not going to dispute that, but it's not. But here's the thing. You want to do right by your kids, you heal this shit. You want to do right by your kids, you go into all the shit from your own past and you, you got to start flushing this shit out like you did today. You can be doing a lot of this on your own, but you can also be doing it in your, in your therapy. But if you got a therapist who just says, kumbaya, fucking namaste, let's all get along, that ain't going to help you. You got to dig down into the roots of this shit, into the hatred, into the anger, because here's what you were taught. You know, there's one definition of uh, depression that defines depression as anger turned inward. See, all these people are hurting you. You're the two people whose primary job it was to protect you, made you feel so fucking vulnerable, unwanted, and burdensome. Their job was to make you feel loved, like you do with your kids, uplifted, loved. They're like they're beautiful, and they make good decisions, and they're good boys and girls. That's how we're, we're supposed to do it, but they did the opposite. Your parents, you know how on cop cars it says to serve and protect and serve? They didn't protect and serve you. Yeah. That was their fucking job. All right. And they didn't do that. But you weren't allowed to have feelings. You basically said you were your mother's emotional tampon, right? She dumped all her fucking problems on you. She would bleed all over you. So, what is the message that sends to the child? Your feelings don't matter, kiddo. All that matters is me and my problems, and you have to listen. And so, the child who can't handle adult problems stuffs his own problems down. He just wants to love on mom and dad. And that little child, even through adulthood, is still trying to get that approval and love and attention and affection. Maybe even some acknowledgement and apology, but at the very least, some approval and attention. And so you gave up your life for her and all the pain of being taught that you didn't matter and that you're a burden. And by dad, that you're unwanted. And you felt, you know, with mom, it'd be easier if I weren't there. You felt unwanted. So all those messages that you got caused immense pain. That's what you got in your fucking vault. And guess what? It also causes anger. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I'm fucking livid. I'm livid that they did that to a kid in 1990s. My kids were kids in the 1990s. All right? It makes me livid that parents were doing that and still doing it today. Wouldn't it make you livid if you knew, you know, the fucking parents of one of your son's baseball, you know, league or soccer league guys that the parents were treating the way you treat, were treated as a kid? Would that make you a little pissed off? Oh, yeah. Fucking A right. And this was just the 90s. This is just 30 years ago, man. Yeah, I'm pissed at your parents, but you weren't allowed to be angry. You weren't allowed to have feelings. You weren't allowed to be sad. And so what does the child do? They turn it inward on themselves and they start hating on themselves. You got to admit, it's kind of fucking weird that the parents didn't protect or serve. The parents didn't do their job, but you don't hate them. You only hate yourself. You were taught that it's okay to hate yourself rather than parents being responsible, Right? Do you see the problem there? Yeah. Wouldn't it kill you to know that because of the family situation right now that you're in with your wife, would it kill you to know that your seven-year-old hated himself because he thought it was his fault? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you were taught, my brother. You were taught that it was your fault that mom's leaving. You were taught that it was your fault that daddy doesn't want to talk to you. Your whole life, you've believed everything was your fault and it wasn't. So you came out of the womb a good boy. When you were four, you were a good boy. You were a beautiful boy. You were creative. You were smart. You were happy. When you're two, four, six, you were a good boy. There was nothing wrong with you, but they taught you, they taught 
you. They instilled the lie that there was something wrong with you in your entire life. You've been taught to believe that you are the problem. And it was bullshit from the beginning. This, my friend, this is what you have to do to heal. These are the feelings you have to go into. If you want to do right by your kids, you got to heal that fucking childhood. You got to go into that vault. And you don't ever have to say word one to your parents. You don't ever have to have them some confrontation. You can heal without ever having any interaction with them. But you got to empty out that fucking vault because there are real feelings in there. That little boy has been toting around that vault, trying, waiting for when you were strong enough to finally open it and let all of his feelings out. He's been keeping them protected because it wasn't safe back then. And he needs you to let them out of the vault so that you guys can finally be fucking free. Then you will be a father like you have never been a father before. Does any of this make sense? It does. It does. What are you feeling? Talk to me about what you're feeling right now. I know you've been crying quite a few tears, and I admire you for that. I admire that you're man enough to let your feelings out. I respect that. Talk to me about what you're feeling right now, William. I feel hopeful that I can at least be the dad at some point that I need to be, that I want to be. Mm. This whole, the last five months, I've just done nothing but work on myself, and I've been just digesting book after book, and getting back into working out and all this other stuff and spending time with my kids and trying to fix these things. And I can just go through these ebbs and flows of despair and hope and despair and hope. And I've been on a kick of hope lately. And this definitely kind of reinforces that. And hope for what? Really? What is the kick of hope been for? Hope for what? Things will be okay. And what do you mean when you say things will be okay? Are you saying that no matter what happens, we'll be okay? Or do you mean I'm going to get my family back? But things will be okay. You know, I'm trying to learn what it means to put this in God's hands. And that's been the hardest part for me. And I know I, I'm not going to be able to force this. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to force us to stay together. I, I get that. But I can work on myself. Well, I know you. Yes, you can. And that is a totally different space to be in that no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. And to use your language, I'm in God's hands. I mean, what do we know from the story of your religion, of Christianity, that God uses bad and painful stuff to make really great stuff happen? I mean, the central story of the entire Christian story is, you know, Jesus got fucking nails driven into him and put to death, and then all this great shit happened as a result. So in other words, good can come from bad. And trusting God, trusting God is hard. It means it requires living with an open hand that we know what we want, but we still let it go and we put our trust in God, knowing that no matter what happens, I'll be okay, that God has me in the palm of his hand. Yeah, man, that's powerful shit. I'm gonna be really honest with you, William. Usually when someone says they they love you, but they're not in love with you, usually that signals the beginning of the end. May not in this case, but it usually does. And her saying, you know, if you drew a paper, she'd sign them. And yet at the same time, she's had all of this opportunity to do so herself and have and hasn't maybe, so maybe there's hope. No, if I were to bet, she doesn't want to look like the bad guy. And yet, particularly in the eyes of your kids, maybe to her friends, maybe to the family. But if she's still saying that, and, and I know it's it's shitty because you were just feeling hopeful, but I asked you, hopeful that it, the marriage will work or hopeful that you'll be okay? You said hopeful that I'll be okay. And yeah, you will be okay. But I'm betting you may have to be the one to end this relationship or it's just going to get worse and she's eventually going to get to the point where she finally has to tell you what's going on inside of her now. Um, is there any coming back from this? The marriage? It's possible. I've seen it happen. Yes, I have. But you've got to do the work on you. Your goal is should be two things. One, to be the best father you can and two, to heal your own childhood, because you won't be the best father you can until you heal your childhood. And you saw today what the hell the stakes are. You saw it today. You know, you maybe forgiven them and glossed it over, talked it out with your parents, but your real feelings have never seen the light of day. And you will become a completely different person once you allow more and more and more of that out of you. I guarantee it. I know it because I do this shit every day with clients. The more you get all that shit out, you're going to become a different person, stronger, clearer deeper, more loving with your kids. And whether it's in this marriage or your next relationship, should you ever have another one, I'm sure you will, you're gonna be a completely different person because you finally become deliberate about life. It's been good having you on, William, but I wanna tell you, man, 
what you are focused on is the right thing. Trusting in, you know, you're a religious guy, trusting that you're in God's hands. Trusting, let me ask you, do you believe, and I know this is kind of fucked up to ask you this question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. If you were to be totally honest, what percent do you believe that you can trust God with your life? I want to say 100, but well, I know it's more like 50. <laughs> of course, we want to say 100, right? That's the tricky part. But you want to say it's more like 50-50. That's right. And so this is what faith is. This is what faith is. And we, what it means to grow in faith is that we trust a little bit more, and we trust a little bit more, and we trust a little bit more. Not even your priest is fully there every single day of the year, all right? And it's a challenge, but you're doing it. And just trust a little more. Give a little more to God and, uh, you know, and give a little more to yourself and healing yourself. That's the solution, my buddy. Thank you so much for coming on the show, William. You've been, you give me hope for men. You give me hope that there are men out there that give a shit, that are willing to change after, you know, hating on themselves and, you know, maybe not being the best version of themselves. And you just opened right up today and you just, I admire you, William. And I mean that as an old dude, 20 years older than you, you give me hope for men of the future. And I think you give a whole lot of women hope. And, and I just, you know, you're one of those guys that I, it's great knowing there are dads out there like you. Thank you so much for being on the show, William. Thank you. You betcha. And to all of you listening into the show, I think we all are a bit in awe of William and grateful for him opening up and sharing his story with us. Rob, any final thoughts? No, he's uh, got a ways to go, but I think he's definitely on the right path. Amen. And I respect and admire how he's handling his kids. You and I have both been through divorces. We have, and we're okay dads, I think. I think. I you think. especially are. Nah, come you, on to you. No, it's, no, it's, uh, but it's, it's exciting to hear a, a father, you know, a young father talk about just wanting to do what's best for his kids, even if, it, you know, willing to heal himself and look at his own ugly past and so forth. It's a good guy. Good guy indeed. Well, to all of you listening in from around the world, thank you so much for tuning in. And I know I speak on behalf of you when I say thank you to William. And I want to just encourage you to keep listening in to the Badass Counseling Show. We've always got such amazing guests. And for all those of you who are interested in being on the show, please write in to production at badasscounseling.com. On behalf of Rob the Rocket and KC, have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.